0: Hi and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I am speaking to Chris Yules. Chris is a classroom teacher at Taipei European School and author of Sentence Models for Creative Writing, a practical resource for teaching writing. Chris's book is one of the most instantly applicable teaching books that I've come across in recent years, and coupled with a robust grammatical understanding for students, it can really help them to understand how and why writers make certain choices in their sentence structures, as well as how they can go about applying some of these techniques themselves. We discussed the best text Chris has ever read, taught, or been taught, how he went about amassing all of the different sentence types in the book, what the prerequisite grammar knowledge he would advise teaching before or alongside such structures, the extent to which certain structures are genuinely creating a tone mood or impression of some sort versus purely serving as a way to add variety and expression how teachers might arrange such structures in a horizontal and vertical curriculum and where teachers should go if they want to approach the sentence construction of rhetorical discursive or analytical writing in the same way. Thanks again to Chris for researching and producing a brilliantly replete resource for teachers in primary and secondary alike, as well as giving up some time to talk with me today. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanH. Okay, Chris, uh, nice easy one to start you with. Uh, what is the best text you've ever read, taught or been taught?
1: One that really stood out for me that sort of got me passionate about um, reading was 1984 by George Orwell. Um, I think so. That's the been taught. Running through to taught, the text that I enjoy teaching the most, or I'm not teaching at the moment, is the, uh, the, the book The Arrival by Sean Tan. Which is a fantastic, very rich wordless picture book. Uh, have you read it? We it all.
0: I literally set it as um, something for the kids to look through when we had like a black rain day, like last week, actually. But yeah, I have read it. I've taught with it. It is great.
1: I think we um, we taught it as parts, so and we're trying to like theme our English, and we were teaching Windrush generation at the same time. And I know it's based on uh, you know people moving over to Ellis Islands in a different period. I think they're... The themes across the two, the history and the English, were really powerful, actually, when they drew those parallels. So definitely the arrival by Sean Tan. Um, I was thinking about this one, the best text I've ever read. I won't go with my favourite book, because actually this will tie into um, uh, what ended up um, influencing my book, probably the most, the writing of it, uh, was The Writing Revolution by Judith Putman and Natalie Wexler. I'm not saying it's the best uh, education text ever written, but the reason I picked it, is because I picked it at a point where I've been teaching English, so it's my 20th year of, coming to my 20th year of teaching, and I've been uh, you know teaching English, and I'm a passionate uh, reader. I write a lot in my spare time, and I was put off secondary school teaching because of the maths aspect, and I found that I got a lot better at teaching maths before I got any good at teaching literacy, and the reason was because uh, I could understand why they were struggling with the maths. <clears throat> Um, with uh reading and writing because i found it easier i didn't couldn't make the connections as to why my students were struggling in my class you know i was reading these fantastic books i was showing all these fantastic examples of setting descriptions and character descriptions and then i was you know, a little bit of shared writing sometimes and then over to you and they just couldn't put the pieces together and i, I found that really sad that um that i couldn't sort of solve that puzzle and i think when i read the writing evolution was just at a point when i was getting more and more convinced that actually we were pushing for like longer compositions and we were um not getting the building blocks in place but essentially sentences and when i read that book i think it was great because it was like another voice that like a weight had lifted off my shoulders i remember furiously highlighting it in a cafe because i think thought yeah, this is exactly what I'm experiencing in my classroom and what I'm struggling with here. That I'm not aiming this at sentence-based level, you know, to make sure the foundations are there, to make sure these students know how to write, not just what to write. So I've picked that one as the, the best text I've read.
0: Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it is it is a fantastic book. Well, they're all fantastic books, but The Writing Revolution, it's th- that description that you gave there, of like it's like a weight being lifted off. I've definitely mm-hmm. experienced that myself, and just of like this is exactly what I know I should have been doing, but couldn't articulate it. Never mind in words, but even in my actions, in in you know in my career and stuff. That is, yeah. And I think well, not not to kind of you know uh, praise you too much. Not that that would be a bad thing, but I do think your book kind of does a similar thing, where it's like, well, we want that. There's always whether you're teaching NYP or you know. Key stage three, sort of in the UK with the, the the sort of the national curriculum, whatever. I think you're always going to have that sort of little part of one of them the mark schemes that's asking for varied sentence structures or kind of asking for some degree of creativity with sentence structures. And it's sometimes it used to be an afterthought, like years ago when I was teaching, it's like, oh, and don't forget to vary your sentences. Like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I know yeah. how to do it. And But giving them names or giving them structures and giving them like uh, explicit instruction in how to do that is is makes sense now. Having kind of in retrospect learned to do it, but at the time, yeah, it's something you were I was crying out for. Um, How did you go about? So for anyone who hasn't read the book, it is essentially um, I think it's really well structured in terms of the way that some chapters are sentence structures that are best used with action, let's say. Some are best used if you're creating a character. You know, Generally speaking, they are all kind of creative writing sentence structures as the kind of title uh, would suggest. How did you go about amassing all the different sentence types in the book? Like what kind of research did you have to do to do that?
1: Firstly, I think after um, reading the writing Evolution, I, I really took the elements from that for non-fiction writing. And I felt like my practice in class and the writing uh, got much, much better than my you know, actual in my classroom. My son like became obsessed with Jimi Hendrix through me, like watching him play guitar on TV. And I went out and I bought him a ukulele. And he sat down on the sofa and he, he tried to like shred Purple Haze straight off the bat, and got very frustrated that he couldn't make any sounds that sounded anything sort of quality, let alone Jimi Hendrix style. And the ukulele now sitting on top of his wardrobe, gathering dust. And I think one of the things I think about in writing is that um, students uh, see the writing process as something that just comes like this magic manner from heaven where the writer channels it. And it just appears on the page, perfect prose, first time. And that's really off-putting, I think, for all students. Um, And I think I'd seen it work so well with the nonfiction. So what I started to do was I I was reading June. The Frank Herbert book, and I spotted a sentence pattern in it, and it was a really simple sentence pattern, and it was putting in the character's viewpoint and there's around the compass points, so, you know, to the north, to the east, to the west, and it had a very simple structure to set the setting. And I remember, I, I um, this is how sad I am, but I was, I was in bed reading, and I got my phone, and I photographed it, copied the sentence pattern down, and I taught it to my class the next day. So rather than this generic, you know, you're going to write a setting description i thought in this actual sentence model and pattern and it worked well and then i saw that sentence pattern coming again in their independent writing sometimes too much <laughs> so, so i was thinking actually there must be a book <coughs> that has split sentence patterns into the writing lenses so uh, you probably tell them but that um the way i've set it out it's slightly more lenses but essentially you can write action Description, introspection, which is thoughts and feelings, or dialogue. And that's it. There aren't any other sentence patterns or writing lenses through which you can sort of tackle your story. Arguably there's a switch to the third person from the omniscient narrator, but I ignore that one for now. And I searched and searched and searched for that book. I know Alan P. who've probably heard of him, have written two fantastic books of sentence models, and they were, but they weren't set in those writing lenses. So then I thought I will start I'll just start to collect them. As I'm reading, I will start to collect the odd sentence factors just for my own class use, to the point that my wife was getting absolutely infuriated with me because she gets them. Will you stop photographing book and the flash kept going off and like waking me up? Um and I kept copying them down. I started to collect them in the different lens areas. And I started using them in class. And that's when I started to think, actually, I can't find the book that I'm looking for, perhaps this is something else that would be useful for other teachers if I even match these and put them together in these lenses that you can sort of dip into. The research stage, essentially, was me probably, I'm not, I mean, I'm estimating here, but I, I, I think I probably looked through 300, 400, maybe 500 different books um, every time. Um, <laughs> so even when I was reading books with my children at bedtime. I was like, well, hang on, it's going to get my phone. I'll be stopped photograph sentences it got to the point actually is obsessive that i ruined reading for myself for about six months because i couldn't even focus on the plots or the characters all the other bits and pieces i just kept looking at these sentence structures and i feel it was sort of pure folly at first the idea that actually there were patterns or repeated structures and actually you know each author probably had this you know their own style and prose which they do but interestingly i found the same patterns repeated again and again and again and the content's different obviously in the the syntax and how the sentences were ordered but the patterns were were broadly the same so i started to collect the ones i thought were useful i left them more sort of um i didn't put any virginia wolf or um cormac mccarthy sentences in there but i just tried to keep the ones that these are ones i think that students could apply in their writing we could teach them we could play with them and this will improve their writings That build those building blocks for their um, their understanding. Um, I had a sort of rule that I saw the sentence pattern more than once then I thought it was fair game. I did have an author t- tell me on Twitter that I should keep my hands off his sentences, which I, I did feel bad about. But um, my point is that we're trying to help young students here get better at writing. So um, it wasn't for my game; it was for theirs, really. Um, so that's how I did it. And that's where the book sort of came from.
0: I yeah I, that that strikes a chord with me actually about the kids books one because ever since I think ever since I read the writing revolution because the, the the big one that comes out of that I know that they talk about lots is obviously the positive uh, yes. but then after reading yours as well like the kids books ones I mean like so sort of picture books designed for 4 5 6 years you, you can't help but notice it you start to see them all the time yeah. like is it like chiasmus and stuff like that you just yes, yeah. I don't know it's yeah and I think the the idea of being able to play around with it is fantastic because I think exactly completely agree with you 100% that most students myself included I think sort of think that writing is something that comes fully formed out of the mind if if you've read enough books if you and and it does in a way i think if you're a, a really prolific reader you are gonna by osmosis or whatever kind of um process uh you know is is relevant you are going to pick up that kind of writing in the same way that if you listen to lots of podcasts by you know whoever james richardson talking about football you're going to sound a little bit like james richardson when you speak in front of you know a group of people but what about the kids who do struggle to read? What about the ones who who don't read as much? I think they're the ones who obviously, like you say, need um explicit instruction so they can start to get a bit of confidence. And, you know, you talk about things like um double adjective sentences or three-verb sentences or, or whatever you want to call them. And you do see the sort of more higher attainment or more confident kids starting to experiment with. Or what if it's a three noun sentence? What if it's a double adverb sentence? What if it's and that's that's a lovely moment, um, to get to. There's,
1: there's two really interesting points. Like one that, um, so I have this real um bugbear. I'm writing an article about it, to teach primary, but when I, I've, I've done a lot of work with other schools, and um, in my role of, sort of writing, at least be an SLE, I don't work with schools across Sussex. And my bugbear, the thing that you're just going to wind me up instantly is when people accuse us of spoon-feeding children When it, or students, when it comes to teaching writing, well, I think, well, if there's a long division or, you know, how to um, drive, no one's going to accuse us of spoon-feeding. Make it explicit and actually show them. Um, and I think those, you know, I'm not, it's not their fault. I know those educators that feel that way. And I know, of course, you have a different opinion, that's fine. When I go in their classrooms and I say, you know, let's have a look at your writing. I know which big books they're gonna pick. They're gonna pick the books of those students that read a lot, like you say, they've internalized the patterns, they've picked up idiomatic phrases, they've got they can move around in range and style and formality. And I I always think, Yeah, great, fine. Okay. What about the books below? The ones that you're desperately hoping I'm not have a look now not to catch you out but we all know that if you know in you know, an offset spec or, or uh, you know someone a lesson observation if someone looks at that that certain pile of books that I'm going to be panicking I think what about for those students because actually they're the students that we should be targeting and like you said helping more than anyone else and making as explicit as possible not those same books those you know those kids that are probably going to be fine brutally honest without us anyway because they read so much so I think that was my sort of uh, drive and you know, I think about like teaching at explicit sentence level. What I was wondering when I did this, I thought, uh, are the ones that already have all these sentence patterns, you know, the the, the the ones that keen writers because they can do it and it comes more easily to them, how are they going to feel about all these lessons where we teach them sentence structures? Are they going to feel um, glass ceiling or handicapped by this and not like it? So I carried out a huge pupil voice in my previous school. And surprisingly, the, the, the sort of high-flyer um, writers Loved it. They every every single student I spoke to said, "Actually, I love the way that you're showing me how these authorial tricks and how authors have done it. You pull back the curtain, and we can play with it."
0: I completely agree because if if you can't name something, you can't have a conversation about it. So if if a if a really high attainment student writes five paragraphs and three out of the five are outstanding, and the final two are fine but could be better, and you can't say why? If you can't explain sort of why, you know, the sentence structures in in that one, you'd, you'd end up saying something like the writing's just more sophisticated in that one, or you'd end up saying something yeah. like I just I just like the way that you, whatever. It's 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 inexpressible. So I think yeah, it's a bit of a it's a Doug Lemov thing, isn't it? But the quicker but that the, you can name something, the better you can sort of analyze it and improve it.
1: I think the idea is well that you can't. I can't hear what it sounds like people hinting towards or explicitly saying like you can't teach writing it's just they read or they don't read that's that and i think well a that is like a real low bar for educators i'm <laughs> saying that we can't teach them the thing that we're here to teach them but also actually you you can't replace you cannot replace the fact that they don't read a lot or have been read a lot too i understand but i do think you can teach students to write in style and you can teach them to add style to their writing. You can also like lay it bare that it's explicit these four lenses, you know, action, introspection, dialogue, and um forgotten the fourth one. Action, description, dialogue, and introspection. And the other thing with that it, people sort of talk about this magical greater depth. I don't know if you have that same term for writing in key stage two and the PYP, but now these writers are greater depth. They have this magical thing that no one else has. Uh because they they vary their sentence type more. well. A, there isn't anything intrinsically better about varied sentence opens. I don't read a book to think, "Wow, the sentence openers were fantastic in that book." You know, "Wow, they... the sentence opens in non-fiction should be invisible, really, and the ki- uh, content should be king." But in in creative writing, actually, it's not just the sentence patterns that we teach them. But it's also the getting to think about the why. Why is the author used this sentence here? And I think you've got a question. You're going to, we're going to talk about this later on, but that real high level I'm a writer, teacher, you're a student of learning writing. We're going to have these high level conversations of why, and I'm going to teach you the writer's style. And we're going to keep coming back to thinking about our choices as an author. So, um, yeah, that's why I strongly believe in.
0: <clears throat> if, we, like, if we jump to that question now, then I mean, effect is something discussed a lot in the book and ensuring the students understand why as you said you would use a certain sentence structure like i I, like, I read and reread the book um and i came back to that and i thought some some of these i would struggle to explain why they've been used some of them not some of them quite easily um but but what do you think is are all sentences created equal in terms of like their effect is there to what extent do certain sentence structures genuinely create a tone or mood or impression versus uh, purely serving as a way to give a bit of variety.
1: Yeah, I, it's interesting. Like one of the things I it was adding a wise every single sentence pattern in the book. I think I added some wise. The wise I went for were I really thought they were transferable amongst um, audience and purpose and genre. And some uh, there's some sentences now I'd say look like a little bit more um, esoteric in the sense they uh, particularly like the st- more stylistic probably and therefore. Are harder aren't they to pinpoint exactly the white um for me i think one of the things we have to think about is that um another side another bugbear i have is talk, uh, people talking about like writer's voice with very young students because i feel like it's a misunderstanding of what writer's voice is So like, when i hear like um people at moderation meetings when they bring out the pieces of writing and they say that like, well this student just has uh has that special voice and then this one doesn't, well, like, Writer's voice is about, you know, the unique science and take on the world, the politics, you know, sexuality, religion. You know, there's all those things that actually come in and actual real authors struggle to find their voice for years and years and years. I think William Falkner, The Sound and the Fury, he wrote like trash pulp novels for years before he suddenly wrote The Sound and Fury. Imitation is, um, and there's a fantastic section on this, on, on probably one of the most influential books I've read on writing, which is Stephen King's On Writing. Uh, imitation is exactly the stages they should be going through at school. And I think another misunderstanding of voice is that writers tend to lean on more description, more dialogue, more introspection or action. Uh, and that actually feeds into their voice. So actually, if you really like um, action books, then you know that that writer is going to lead more into the action sentences mixed with dialogue, quick little bits of uh, um uh, introspection and less description so all the genres have like a code like fantasy people read fantasy they know what the code is so the code is you know world building and magical systems and lots of description so that's like what their voice leans towards it's why some people read a book that you love and let alone the plot and the characters you just don't enjoy it because you don't enjoy that voice that style so i think with the sentence structure something like For example, if I'm writing fantasy, and I know what the code is, long, complex sentences with lots of description fit that code of fantasy because you know that you need those sorts of sentences because the reader is used to those long, you know, two-, three-, four-paragraph descriptions of forests and citadels and castles and and lands, whereas an action fan knows the code to be the shortest staccato sentences and lots of action-packed with the verbs. So, I think sometimes the why is really clear in the writing and, and why you would use that for a certain genre. And then sometimes it's also, you know, you can't just ask students to vary their sentences and expect them to understand what that means. So, it's knowing about, you know, as a writer, with the, the two, well, I think the most important thing is, especially a young writer, is pacing. We all know the students, well, they all struggle with pacing. But we all know, like, the younger students, and I, I don't know if you still get this in secondary school, but where they write the story and it's just one breathless race from the end to the finish, long run on sentence because they don't know how to control the pacing. So I think using sentence structures to teach pacing, so we two, two ways to slow the pace down. One is to describe, one is to go into introspection, thoughts and feelings. Now, when you do that, you sacrifice um, action. You, you sacrifice the plot and your story moving forward by doing that. But at points, you've got to get your uh, students in your class to think about what does my reader need described in this book? What is my what do I as an author think is so important that you know if you come across the, the the cursed sword that the plot has been driving towards? That's what the character's been looking for the whole book, and you don't describe it, your reader's probably going to feel a bit cheated. So. It's thinking about those choices they make and actually you can say, well, in this point, you can lengthen your sentences. You can use these more complex descriptive uh, sentences in here. You might want to use these different sentence structures. Or for thoughts and feelings, you can structure them in this way. So it actually really becomes uh, explicit how and when you use the different sentence structures for pacing, for the genre you're teaching, and just for your effect on your reader or what you want to do as an author.
0: Mm, yeah i think that yeah it's it's i don't know if it's reassuring to know that they are still kind of doing these breathless stories yeah (laughs) uh, seven eight nine ten although we we sort of try and do it in conjunction with that um christopher booker thing of like the seven, seven plot types and stuff and as reductive as that is they do quite like the idea of testing the boundaries of that and and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, I think um yeah that that that's an interesting take on on the idea of you know if you're gonna sacrifice action for kind of introspection and things like that. That is a more mature kind of approach to take in some ways. And obviously certain sentence types lend themselves better to that. That Mm -hmm. is a legitimate conversation you could have with 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 secondary students, I think. Um how like let's say someone sort of you know very they've read about the book they've seen it on twitter and you know that they're, they're keen to sort of Im- implement things like um that we're talking about or that you talk about in the book more specifically um they're probably like right i'm going to do this i'm going to because because it does lend itself like you were saying before to you know to the north there was this to the west there was this you could do that tomorrow like some of these sentence types are depending on the unit of study you're doing is a very immediately implementable so what is the prerequisite grammar knowledge you would advise teaching before or alongside certain structures or do you not need any
1: uh, i think i mean i i'm a i do like grammar uh, i think grammar is important i think grammar in the context of writing and having a you know the, the research shows having a strong understanding of grammar um yeah, makes you a better writer I don't believe in grammar testing because I don't think you can turn these into one to three more binary answers. Um, and I remember when the 2014 curriculum change came in, and we suddenly had the, the spelling, punctuation, grammar testing key stage two. I was working in year six at the time, and we get into these very deep wormhole conversations about grammar in the class. About you know this is a verbal phrase, or this is a prepositional phrase, and sometimes it was both. And it, it got, yeah, it was interesting. I found it interesting, put you know, poor students, bored, rigid. <laughs> myself and my t- teaching assistant having this conversation in class. But um, for me, I think number one, they've got to understand all students what a sentence is. So we start every year with a refresher of like a sentence has to have a subject and a verb. So then we can avoid fragmented sentences. And then from that single clause idea, you can build on that. We should probably boil it down to the key concepts in our school that we think are most important. So I would go with what is a sentence. I would really clarify the idea that adjectives modify nouns and adverbs modify verbs. I think that's a key thing, and then you just need to make sure across your school that you have got pockets of people giving misconceptions and their own version of and commas of a breathing and verbs are ly words because I don't you know I think hand on heart a lot of adults struggle with the grammatical side of teaching writing so uh, for me it's very it's important because then you can talk about the parts of the sentence but i would break it down into like the key concepts and what a sentence is i think that's
0: really good advice like having a clear idea collectively of what the main sort of concepts are within within your department or across the school um so i think when i was reading it again like i've kind of I've referenced it before but it is laid out in a really clever way the action character setting etc Um, but naturally it depends how sort of schools arrange their curriculum. So for example, we do typically, I mean, we're, we're trying to look at metaphor in every unit. We're trying to look at, um, sort of analysis in every unit we're doing just reading and comprehension in every unit, but. You know, for all sort of intents and purposes, we probably only have one unit a year that is creative, so to speak, in a narrative or or descriptive sense. And so there are elements of that which are, you know, a little bit of action and maybe a little bit of character. Maybe we wait until year eight to do setting or something like that. So um, what I was interested to know was like how my teachers arrange the structures that, that you've got in the book. You've obviously got like hundreds of structures. How would how would yeah, you like advise them to arrange them in like a horizontal horizontal or vertical curriculum? Is there a value in having students choose their own once the basics are in place, or is a more controlled, stratified approach better in your opinion? I
1: I can see um, arguments for both. I, I can talk about the way that I did it in my previous school, which was it was a junior school, so it was ages three to six, and we were thinking about the horizontal and vertical alignment. What so? What we did is, we say, for example, we took action, we took introspection, we took dialogue, and we took um, description, and we set out a sentence pattern that we knew that in our teaching of the writing story unit that half term that we would explicitly teach. We set those out like a knowledge organizer, whatever it is you know you wanted to call it, and um, we knew that all the students in Year Three term. Half term one, then half term one would have been explicitly taught this one action pattern. Then in half term two, second pattern. And then we had that laid out over the year. And of course, there's lots of other things still going on in the English lessons, but we taught that, and then we had it in it a morning tasks and retrieval tasks, lots of practice with it. That meant by the end of the year that I know they had eight patterns for action, eight for uh, dialogue, and so on then we also we had that laid out for every year group so when I came if I was the year four teacher I could say oh look brilliant! I know you've got these well, you know um action sentences you've learned this year so we can build on those you can use those and actually we're going to teach some new ones this year and that went all up to year six um now we put that in place but then I left so <laughs> I'll have to check in and find out how that's going but I could see in the certainly in the year I was there in the horizontal alignment, that it was really useful for me to say, right, this is our next story writing unit. And don't forget, last time our big idea was we learned how to slow down the pace, for example. And, um, yeah, perhaps we were using, like, you know, this book is you know, overcoming the monster plot, we learned how to slow down the pace, but you also learned this sentence pattern. So you know that one, quick practice. We're going to learn a new sentence pattern now. And I knew there was some there that I could build on as I went through the year to add for the variation for those students. What I never insisted on and was that I am, I'm not a big fan of success criteria lists that insist that students have to put it in because I think you find either they shoehorn it in um, to be to tick the box. Worse, I see teachers teachers tick the box or highlight it and I have to point at some of those but they've not used it correctly. <laughs> That's not even right. It doesn't grammatically make any sense or the flow doesn't work in this section. Um, but it certainly is useful, I think, for the students to remember some of those sentence patterns that they could use if they choose to independently apply it. That's, I think that's the key thing, rather than being forced to, to put it in.
0: And it's also quite a good... I mean, I'm, I, I must admit, the first year that I tried to do this, maybe two years ago, where I had a conversation with Donald Hale and he had like eight nine ten kind of sentences that he was trying to implement across um uh, the department wherever he was working and i thought okay i'll try some of those out and it was it was overkill in the sense that the kids liked it and they they tried to implement it but it was they were just thrown in with like very little kind of consideration for whether or not they worked or not or whether or not it was kind of yeah it felt shoehorned in essentially and um to the detriment of all the other elements of, of the piece. But I do think, yeah, that idea of, so if you've got eight across the year for those different, yeah, it's, it's interesting to sort of consider how that then maps onto secondary in terms of if they are coming through and they've got a reasonably good grasp as our students do tend to of like the parts of speech and how to construct a sentence, like how many you can sort of gradually introduced like year on year but yeah it it seems to me sort of at the moment i'm averaging i don't know somewhere between 8 and 12 confidently a year that they would be able to use and it's not necessarily just for creative purposes you can obviously yeah. use like a you know and a, an a positive or a triple verb sentence or a um god forbid a fronted adverb or something like that in, in multi and in multiple um, text type. So yeah, that's that that is interesting. But the, what about the sort of because um for the for the purposes of context, I'm in an NYP, IBDP school, the ESF that I work for is is an IB um sort of accredited foundation. And I have heard sort of an argument for, well, why don't you just let the kids choose them themselves? Like, why don't you give them this book that, you know, Chris has has written and just let them choose them themselves? Is there any, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure whether you'd be able to speak to that in terms of your experience, but um, I instinctively don't love the idea of it until they're steeped in the practice of, of using these different sentence types. But what's your instinctive reaction to that, Chris?
1: I think, there's, um, I think this it's probably contextual and spends and on the students, right? So there's probably students in my class, I can of a couple that would happily do that and they do that brilliantly. I can think of a few others that would just take sentences and try and stitch them together without really thinking about what they're actually trying to say. So I think one of the things I've, I probably haven't mentioned yet, but I think I've read about in the book is that, you know, I always go back to that number one, you know, writer's communication. What is it you're trying to say? And who's to find with the shoehorn success criteria, or would be the students say, well, I don't know, but I've just got to use this. So I guess that would be my fear if they were for all students to have free reign at all points. Although I like the idea because it might, sounds like it might sell more books if you hand them <laughs> to hand them around to students. But um, I should say that every student should be issued with a book on arrival in school. you know. But, um, <laughs> uh, I I mean I can talk about the way that I structured it through a specific example in my school. So we took, for example, a, a thoughts sentence and we took that a year three and we said, look, let's just start with a simple, um, you know, rhetorical question, a thought character. And then let the show students actually that's the sentence structure you can use, but this is why and when you should use it when you're writing. So if something unusual interesting has happened in the story or you're trying to reveal some exposition in a non-clunky way because you can put it through the character's thoughts or you want to show the relationship to another character um see what they think of them or see what they think of a new setting so it activates it through their viewpoint all the lots of why's to use it and then the very last thing is here's a simple sentence structure you can use i think if you flip it the other way around say like here's 30 sentence structures you can use but they don't know why they're using them then they're going to end up jumping together yeah and then what if you keep going through the why we'll go through the why again in year four and in year five and in year six and year seven and year eight. keep talking about the why but you can gradually the way i structured it was that the sentence structure got more sophisticated so by the time they got to year six we were using a mixture of um uh commands rhetorical questions and um, uh, what were we be doing that command to talk questions. I was using the four sentence types, essentially. The brain's yeah. gone now. Statements. There we go. Yeah. And we were mixing it up to so a more sophisticated, exactly the same thing. I want to reveal that about this activating the setting the viewpoint, but I can do it in this more sophisticated sentence model. So it's having the why an author would use this at this point, and then you can build the more sophisticated sentences to play with. And sometimes, you know what, the 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 simplest way, the simple sentence structure is absolutely fine. And that's mm. a good
0: job. Yeah.
1: So I think, that, yeah, it's the why first, building that why. they have got to understand why. Why would a character stop and think about something? Why does the author do that at this point?
0: It seems like you can have, like, yeah, a happy medium between the two. If you can get them to a point where it's like, well, this is what we want out of this part of the story, potentially. These are the yeah. sentence types that might help. Provided, and it's a big proviso, but pr- provided they understand what those sentence structures, how to construct them and what they're for, and et cetera, then maybe. but that on in theory, I think exactly like you said, i I can think of maybe a quarter of students where it's like, yeah, they can do that tomorrow. Conversely, I can think of a quarter of students who I really need to follow up with in terms of have they learned what I've taught them in the last ten lessons this isn't necessarily a priority right now. So yeah, um, you you, are, you referenced quite a few different um, books in, in the text itself, and you've talked about a few today um, in terms of kind of where to go to for, for sentence construction. Um, the first thing is quite sort of ungrateful. The first thing that I thought when I finished reading your book was, I really wish there was one for insert, other type of writing here so analytical discursive um uh, rhetorical and uh, there are some books out there that that teach you know the rhetorical devices and stuff like that i can't remember the one i'm thinking of now but it's like a book of like 50 rhetorical devices or something it's told in a very droll way um but yeah where where should teachers go you know we've got the creative thing sorted everyone go out and buy chris's book but if if they want sort of um to work out construction of rhetorical, discursive, or analytical writing, where would you advise they go for that?
1: Yeah, um, well, I can, <laughs> a I'm shameless plug now because I just agree <laughs> with John Kent to right sentence structures for non-fiction writing.
0: <laughs> ah, <laughs> so um, that's
1: what we can send suggest- me that. Uh, uh,
0: send me the fiver later in the post. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, because I've, I've just I've spent the last six months writing a book for how to teach story writing that's coming out with Bloomsbury later in the year. And so um, John Cat very kindly waited to finish that. And then I've started work, uh, much to my wife's and children's displeasure, straight away on the next one. Um, in terms of um, sentence structure books, I've probably named one was Elements of Eloquence by Mark Versailles. Um, fantastic, persuasive, lots of rhetoric techniques. I really enjoyed the the art of the sentence, I think it's called.
0: I see. Fair enough. And when when you talk about like your non um, non fiction book that you're putting out, um, Chris, is that with a is it with a sort of um, I don't know analytical thing in mind, rhetorical thing in mind, or is it you know what kind of text types are you envisioning, or is it is that too kind of constrictive a way to describe it?
1: Yeah. No, I was thinking definitely um, tackling persuasive. Um, I love. Ways of writing, I love learning all the different rhetoric techniques and trying to look at how some sentence sites for those. Um, definitely some discursive and some informative, I think, with my general um general plans as I'm sort of sketching it out at the moment, start to gather some ideas together. But yeah, just need to write the thing now. <laughs> okay.
0: All that remains for me to say is like thank you so much for um A, giving up your time um reading 300 400 500 books and you know utterly reducing your ability to enjoy literature for our benefit um but also your, your time today to to chat with us and and um you know iron out a few little questions that i had after reading the book it was an excellent chat thank you very much yeah no, thank you
1: and I, I am enjoying reading again now <laughs> it's gone <laughs> back So actually like taking in the story and the plot and characters now yeah I'm done I'm done with sentences for fiction. I'm done
0: for now <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> thank you